Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? What's How going are on? you, senor? All fantastic. Good in the world over on this side. And, uh, man, Mary Goulet, I believe, is out doing her uh, fun work in the world. And uh, Wade's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And here on Beyond Eight Figures, we sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually and get to the bottom of how they started and scaled and uh, in some cases exited from that business. And uh, I've had a lot of really interesting guests on uh, over the last few weeks. So if you've missed any of the the past episodes, of course, check out the podcast edition. Uh, Just go to your favorite podcast distribution channel, whether it's uh, the iTuners of the world or the Stitchers or the SoundClouds, et cetera, you'll find Beyond Eight Figures on there. And a uh, really interesting interview actually last week with uh, David Schottenstein, the guy who's got uh, just the, the, the Midas touch, so to speak, and now with his uh, Privé Riveau glasses line and working with Jamie Foxx and all those fun people of the world there. Uh, he's got a really interesting going, thing going. Yeah, so to your point of the first two, they've either currently running it or they've exited some people do both. Yeah, and he did both. Yeah, exited from Astor and Black for $50 million plus and, and so on. So lots of uh, great guests that we've had on, so make sure you check out the past episodes. And if you haven't taken a t- uh, the time here to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it if you did, and uh, especially if you like today's interview, as I'm sure you will, as we have an opportunity to sit down, literally sitting down, you're sitting down, we're sitting down. So we're literally sitting down with the one and only <clears throat> Dr. Angela Loria. It's so awesome having you here. Doc, how you doing? I am so excited to be here. I do podcasts all the time, but this one is already my favorite because I love talking about money. Yeah, right. I, I know. Talk about it a lot today. It's my favorite. You know, and and look, it's really interesting too because there, and, and just let me say this since you brought this up right out of the gate here. Is that a taboo subject? I mean, do you think entrepreneurs literally have to love money in order to be successful? One, you have to love money in order to be successful. And two, it's a taboo subject for people who are broke. Mm. (laughs) Like that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. I think when you realize that all money does is buys you choices, it doesn't solve problems. It's not like every day is all sunshine and roses when you're beyond eight figures. In fact, I think in many ways we have problems that are even bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're looking for money to solve your problems, you're going to be sadly disappointed and regularly disappointed. But if you're looking for money to buy choices and access and influence, and most importantly to me, impact, there's no way to do any of that without a boatload of cash. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, let's just clear the table on the first question here, which uh, we always try to get out of the way often and early. Which is how how do you meet the criteria then for beyond eight figures? Did you exit from a business for more than eight figures? Or do you currently run a business that grosses more than ten million dollars annually or both? Yeah, so I run the author incubator and we are now doing about one point five million a month. I started the business about six years ago, um, in February of twenty thirteen. And uh, I think we'll do close to 20 million this year. We're on track for about 18.6, but I've got a little card up my sleeve to hopefully pull another million and a half out of the hat in the last quarter. We'll mm-hmm. see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So let, let, and, and let's talk about what is the difference now versus when you started, right? Because six years ago, when you started this, you were probably not doing a million and a half a month. So when when did things actually click for you in a way where you were like, oh, wow, this is this is scalable? Because I know that that's a, a question that so many entrepreneurs have. And, you know, there's 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 three main S sort of criteria, right? It's the it's the question of can you create a business that is sustainable? So think about it from the standpoint of, you know, is it evergreen? Will it you know what works now? Uh, you know, if you were to try to do uh, friends of ours or associates, I guess is a better term. You know, they did a a, a webinar about Bitcoin. 
yeah, a year ago or two years ago or whatever it was, and they did like 25 million bucks on, you know, on a freaking webinar, right? And so, but if you try to do that today, it may not be sustainable. That demand may not necessarily be there. So sustainable and then scalable, right? So can you take that business and go from a million a year to 10 million a year to 50 or whatever it might be? And then, of course, saleable. Right. So is there, in fact, like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a personal brand and, and Richie has some degree. Right. I mean, also a personal brand. And a lot of the people that we dance with have these personal brands. And I'm not so sure that the personal brand side of the world is saleable. Right. So sustainable and scalable. But that's one of the things that I'm struggling with now is, is how do we take this sort of this world of Steve Olsher, so to speak, and make that saleable. So lots of different things that we're covering there in that uh, in that last little ugh, puke there out. But <laughs> but what I'm asking you is, what do you think you did then to 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 kind of cross that hurdle into the the land of scalability? Yeah. Well, I want to take all three. So the first one is sustainable. We help people write, publish, and promote books, particularly entrepreneurs uh, that want to use their book to generate business. I accidentally started doing that in college. And so I knew, and and I graduated from college in 1994. So I had been generating thousands of leads per month with the books that I was working on for a couple decades, for $35 an hour. (laughs) I was doing it as kind of an hourly freelancer, but I've been doing that for a long time. So I knew I had something sustainable. And then when it came to doing something scalable, I actually didn't want that at first. I used to say, um, I do mostly personal development books. And I used to say, I started the author incubator so I could get paid to read self-help books. Mm -hmm. That was like my passion. And before that I did technology books. And my last book before I started this business was Windows Server Backup 2.0. And I was really excited to read self-help books that I was passionate about for a living. Mm But what I realized is as the business was successful, I couldn't do it alone and I had to figure out how to hire people. And then hiring people became my full-time job, hiring people, managing them. And I did not go into business to hire people and manage them. So I had to go through a lot of my own, do I scale back? Do I want a lifestyle business? Do I want something that I could sell? I was reading built to last and doing all the, how do I sell my business workshops, uh, the e-myth, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the biggest decision you have to make as a business owner that starts kind of as a personal brand. Or in my case, I just sort of started as a freelancer. It wasn't really a brand. I didn't have any followers. I didn't have a website. By the way, I got to 3 million without a website. Mm. No website, no business cards, no social media profile. I literally just talked to people. And when I could help them, I made them an offer. And then I took their money and delivered. That was like the whole plan. So I'd I'd love to go right into that because so many people. I got to get to point three, which is about. uh, Yeah. So it's sustainable, scalable, and sellable. So the sellable piece for me and getting myself out of the brand was actually connected to hiring people. I had to make that a goal and an ambition to be able to do that. And I only built my company's brand. I never built my own. Most people don't know my name or know who I am and that's on purpose. Mm. And um, I wrote myself out of that job that I loved, the one I created for myself. And it's 41 people that it takes to do the job I could do alone at scale. 41 people to do my job. Wow. So to to that saleable thing I wanted to mention, there's something I'm noticing a theme going across a lot of these people, whether they, they don't always want to sell. Some people want to keep running it. But I still see the theme that even if they want to keep running it, they still build it to be able to be sellable, right? Mm -hmm. I.e., they want to be able to go on vacations with their family so they can't be up in the weeds of the business. So whether you actually want to sell or don't want to sell, you still need to build it to be sellable or you're going to be stuck in it. You nailed it, man. I mean, never say never, but I have no plans to ever sell the author incubator, but there is no work for me here anymore. (laughs) 
I have a hundred percent worked myself out of a job. Every single job has its own SOP. Every job could be replaced within 30 days. Every job has a job description. No tasks are required for me to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Like literally, I don't, I don't have a job around here anymore. So it's totally sellable, Mm -hmm. but I don't have any interest in selling it because why would I? It spins off three to $4 million a year and I do no work. Um, Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Well, and that's just real quick what I was going to get into right before I interrupted you getting on the third point there. Um, So for those people who are overthinking it, they're in the starting mode. They're just because this is start, scale, exit. They're in starting mode. You just got done saying you got up to $3 million with no business cards, no websites, no anything. You, you went, talked to a person, and you made them an offer. I mean, this is like Steve's dream right now. The more things you have and making the offer is like the most important part. So what exactly did that look like? And just you don't have to go through the whole process, but you go up at a seminar and you you say, hey, uh, what do you do? And did you kind of always know people should write a book and so some way, shape, or form it was going to come back to that offer? Or like, what just what did that look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to shout out the day we're recording this, we just heard news that Dan Kennedy died. Ooh. And oh, yeah. Kennedy was the guy who inspired me to do this. So he was one of my first teachers and he said to me, the entire point of being in business is to make something sellable and sell it. He's like, anything else is overcomplicating it, or as he might have said, is BS. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, shout out to Dan Kennedy for telling a very young me that before I knew uh, any better than to question him. He seemed like he knew what he was talking about. And so my first job, um, I got hired when I was in college um, to help a New York Times bestselling author write a book. I was a journalism student. I obviously didn't have a website. And a wa- well-known Washington, D.C. author called my professor and said, who's your best student? I need someone to help me write a book. And so I got hired to write a book with him. And websites didn't even exist at this point. So I certainly wasn't thinking I need a website. And I don't No, I'm not even sure I knew what business cards were. I don't, it just didn't cross my mind. I need a business card. That's not what got me the job. Mm -hmm. And then I was a really big fan of a band called Crowded House. Mm -hmm. You know who they are? Mm -hmm. Hey now, hey now. Those guys don't dream it's over. Yeah. So uh, I followed them around the world and I would help this author. And I was just on the road following this band, and I would stand in line all day. And you were meet a groupie people. for Crowded House. Crowded wow. House. <laughs> By the way, just I so didn't you... even know Crowded House would have groupies. That's, it that's just shows how niche you can get. You can get so niche. There you go. We are called Finheads, just so you get that term right. So Neil Finn is the founder and the lead singer. So we're all Finheads. So I knew all the other Finheads standing in line. <laughs> And um, they would be like, oh, you work on books? I have a book. My uncle has a book. My friend has a book. Mm -hmm. And then I would just say, while we were standing in line and I had my Blackberry with me, I was like, or my Nokia. I think at the first I had a Nokia. Um, And I would be like, introduce us. Like, let's just do it now. And sometimes it was a phone call and sometimes it was an email it never even popped into my head. They'll never make the introduction if I don't have a business card. Mm-hmm. Like I was just hanging out to see a band. So, so then I would so- get introduced and then I would do a phone call and I would offer to do a book with them and I would price it at $35 an hour or I'd estimate how many hours it would be and give them a project price. I, I didn't know you were supposed to do a website and I was so busy doing books. I just never got around to doing a website. Mm-hmm. So interesting. And the so so you're the 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 consummate 25 year overnight success story. Then I mean you've been in this industry and and you've never never ventured out of the the world of of author land, so to speak. I mean, has it, has it been 25 years solid with helping people in their books and and marketing and publishing and and so on and so forth? So for 17 years, every time I would go home for Christmas, my family would say, do you have a job yet? I was always doing these books and I was always a broke freelancer. 
and um, I was always borrowing money for my family. And so eventually I went to grad school to get a real job and I paid for grad school by doing books. I did a PhD in philosophy mm. and actually it was a PhD in communications, but sort of philosophy of culture and communications and went to school in Switzerland at a really quirky alternative program. But I graduated and immediately got a job as a professor, which is a very hard thing to do because mm -hmm. it's very competitive. I got a job as a professor at the George Washington University, which is where I had gone to school and kind of had an in there. And I hated it. I finally had a real job and I was terrible. Mm -hmm. My rate, my professor reviews were like D's and F's. I was miserable. I was having panic attacks every morning. I had like permanent diarrhea. It was like a very bad scene. So I did it for one year. And during that year, I probably had 20 requests to write a book that I said no to because I was pursuing finally a real grown-up big girl career. Mm -hmm. And then after one academic year, I just said, screw this. It's $55,000 a year. I work 24-7 and I hate everything about it. It might be a real job, but I'm going back to this pretend job of writing books. Mm -hmm. And I went right back into it and I wrote another, wrote another book. And um, yeah, then it probably took me another 10, not 10, five, that was 2007. I started my business in 2013. It took another six years for me to fully give up on the dream of having a real job. And then I finally started my business. I was like, maybe it's been under my nose all the time. Mm -hmm. So let, let's let's dig into then the the transition from Angela, the the solopreneur. I'm going to help you write some books, and you know this thirty five dollar an hour, or whatever you know you were charging at that time. As you, uh, I would think, as you moved forward and your expertise grew and your abilities grew you started charging $40 an hour and then maybe even 50. I mean, like, you know, living large, right? So the whole journey did go from $10 an hour up to $50 nice. an hour. Well played. Over 17 years. <laughs> well played. So, so take us through though, how this became an actual business, which is, I think where so many people get stuck. So they have expertise, they can charge 50 bucks. Maybe nowadays they charge a hundred bucks an hour, right? I mean, like something that is commensurate with whatever it is that they want to earn, they're earning it. But it's still them. So, yeah, I mean, we've heard this term a million times of trading, you know, hours for dollars, and it just is what it is. And, and a lot of people get stuck there, and, and, they, and they can do okay, you know? I mean, if you're charging 100 bucks an hour and you got 40 hours, you know, worth of, of work every, you know, every week, you're not doing bad in the scheme of things when you compare it to what most people are making, but it's not a real business. So help us understand what you did and what changed that for you. And was it, just take us through that. Okay, we're going to get a little spiritual and woo-woo here. Yay. Get ready. God is involved. So I um, signed up to work with a life coach. I got a book called Finding Your Own North Star. And I was trying to figure out what my real job should be. What was my purpose? I actually Googled the term books like what color is your parachute? And you didn't find what is your what? How sad. That's my oh, book. What is your what is really good. Thank yeah, you. you should totally read uh, that one. But you found I it, get, so forget about I it. I may have figured it out now, but I will recommend <laughs> it to others. I have yeah. nieces and nephews. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so I remembered reading What Color Is Your Parachute in school. And I was like, God, if I could just get a book to tell me what I should be doing. And I really thought that I was going to go to law school to be a personal injury attorney. Hmm. That is a true story. I was like, I think I'd be great at that. It's very excited about my future as a mm -hmm. personal injury so attorney. Let me, so let me guess. So the personality trace that may have left you down that road where A, you're a fighter. You, you know, you're willing to go to battle to, to win the fight and win the war. You know, B, you like money, and so you could get paid doing that, and that'll definitely help you. And C, you like helping people, so you'd be able to help people. So there you go. You're a justice fighter. Justice is, like, my biggest value. <laughs> like, let's get justice. Let's get in there and get it. Get exactly. it done. You want justice and for I, the world. And I love <laughs> projects that finish. Mm. So one of the things I've always loved about books is they have a start date and an end date. And my understanding of law at that time, 
it's a little different now that I'm a $20 million business owner. But, um, but my understanding of law was like, we'll get a case, I'll get a contract signed, and then eventually that case will end. I was thinking in a few months. I now know it's probably a few decades. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, so I thought I'm so good at projects with an end date. This will be perfect for me. So a lot of that book was going within, you know, meditating, answering the questions. The biggest question that Martha Beck, uh, my coach, asked me was, what do you lose track of time doing? Mm -hmm. And the answer was reading self-help books. And so, but that didn't sound like something you could make money at. Mm -hmm. So I just read another self-help book. And for six years, I was asking myself, what do I lose track of time doing by reading self-help books? So here's where God comes in. One day I was driving home from that job where I was writing the Windows Server Backup book. I was an entrepreneur residence at Bain Capital. I worked with VC companies to help them infuse book funnels and book marketing before we use the word funnels. Um, I was building free book funnels for um, high-tech software companies with an average sales point of $5,000 to $100,000. So I knew how to sell high ticket from a book. I didn't know it was called any of those things, but that's what I was doing. So one day I was driving home from one of my clients and I was passing the National Zoo and I looked up at this billboard of a panda And I got this sort of warm, fuzzy, pandas are cute feeling. And there was a stop sign in front of me that I'd gone to this stop sign a thousand times. And I remember moving my foot as I looked at the panda from the gas to the brake to start braking to get to the stop sign. So I don't know how far you do that, a couple hundred feet. In between the time that I hit that pedal, it was like the pedal did something And I got this download of my entire business plan came from God. By the time I reached that stop sign, I knew my entire future. I knew I would someday live in a castle, uh, that I would be working with people who are writing books on transformation, that I would have an eight, nine figure business. I knew I would hit a hundred million dollars. I knew our books would be in a hundred million hands, um, And I really got this very clear vision of everything that would happen in my future in that time it took to break till I hit the stop sign. Yeah. And, uh, and and what intersection is that? Just so we can get, uh, (laughs) Parkway, Washington, DC. Hit the brake pedal. Yeah, there we go. It was very black and white. (laughs) Very panda. (laughs) So pandas, animal so. right okay so so there's a million people out there right now listening this this is me projecting into the future here so there's a million people right now listening and they all have vision boards right they have these you know these big beautiful vision boards they've got the house the castle they've got the car that they want they've got the spouse or whatever that they want they got all those things on the board they get that download they put it on the board the only difference is you got this download at a stop sign they got this download they put it on a board you bring it to fruition, they don't. Why? That's a great question. I practice every single day. I actually do a lot of, most of my job is doing my own personal growth work. So I grew, I'm not like a practicing Catholic, but I grew up in the Catholic church. So I have all the, like, I call them poems, but I have all the poems memorized. I think they're called prayers. Um, and my favorite prayer is St. Francis of Assisi, make me an instrument of peace. And every single morning I meditate, I have since 1994, when I found Marian Williamson's return to love. Um, I say that prayer, I meditate, I journal every day. And I did the vision board. I got home from that stop sign and I still have that exact vision board and I, and every single thing on it has come true. Um, But I think it's a matter of doing the work. Like at that point, then I did file the LLC and launch the business and make the sales calls. And I hired a coach for $60,000. My first coach was a guy named Kevin Nations. Mm, And he's an amazing, amazing man who helped me create this business. I would not be here without him. But the dude charged me $60,000 a year that I did not have. I had a credit card with a $22,000 balance that was in my freezer for emergencies. I read an article in Cosmo once that said, always keep a credit card in the freezer for emergencies. 
And I pulled it out to make the first payment to pay him. And I was like, if this doesn't work, uh, this, I will just file for bankruptcy. Right. <laughs> right. You can't get blood from a turnip. And this is it. I got 22 grand. So, I signed up for a $60,000 program. And then I did every single thing he told me to do. Yeah. And yeah. there's no way I'd be at 20 million so, without it. So let's save 60K for a lot of people. What did he tell you to do? Seriously. Because, you know, you yeah. hear from a lot of people who hire a lot of coaches and then like nothing happens. And I'm always curious, like when somebody gets those sort of results where they have to make a payment, you know, they're going to file for bankruptcy. Like you went out on a limb. You're like, I got nothing to lose here. You know, worst cases, I file for BK, you know, and call it a day. What specifically did he tell you to do? Okay. Ready? Step number one sell something every day, mm. no launches, no shenanigans, build a real business every single day, schedule a sales call. And if you schedule a sales call every single day, you will have at least four clients uh, a month and sell those clients something high ticket. And he talked about the average value per client. Mm -hmm. So think about what you're going to sell them first and what you're going to sell them second. So you know the value of a client and work on fewer clients, better results, mm. more clear results, more complete results. Um, Kevin said, don't sell information, sell transformation. Uh, the next thing he taught me was uh, don't work with MFers. Sometimes we call them troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, so only work with great clients who want to pay in full, upfront, start now. If they're not ready to go right away, they're going to be pains in the ass. However they show up in the sales process is how they'll show up when you work with them. Yeah. And yeah. if you only work with exemplary people, you're going to have exemplary case studies, which will lead more exemplary people to want to work with you. Mm -hmm. So we have a 99.6% success rate. Um, every single one of our clients are total rock stars. And if a non-rock star accidentally got through, we would refund them probably within 24 hours and be like, bye-bye, gotta mm -hmm. go. So we have a very strict, no troublemaker policy. Every single one of our clients has to be 100% invested in their own success and have a servant's heart so that they're invested in the success of their clients, patients, we work with a lot of doctors, customers, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Anything else? So, that, um, was there anything else after the only work with great clients? Yeah. And then I think the other, um, the other thing that Kevin always said that made a huge Im impact to me was um, uh, market like you're the best, but practice like you're the worst. So I am always study. I am always studying. I'm always improving. I'm always staying ahead of my competitors and ahead of the market and mostly doing my own personal growth and development work so that I can build an amazing team. Um, so our marketing strategy is very much we're the Harvard for nonfiction authors. There's no one else out there that has our success rate. Um, even a company like um, Tucker Max's company, like you look at the other people out there in the book space, no one has our success rate. 76% of our clients make $250,000 from their book in the first year. No one even publishes their success rates. And we know we're the best. And every single month I do something to make my program better. Yeah, Richie, I know you're uh, probably stewing on there on a number of things as am I, but I'll, uh, I don't want to hog the mic here. No, all, all good. Um, so one of the things that I think about when it comes to authors, when Steve at the very beginning was talking about things that are sustainable, that there's just something about a book, right? Like we need to eat, we need to sleep, we need to do, even though everything's going digital, there's just something about a book that I don't know if it's because we've been trained over time or what, but it's just, it's like instant authority. And so I'm someone that's like chronic, great at math, but horrible at spelling. There's times spell check is just like, I don't even know what to offer as what you're trying to spell here. But um, do you help people 
that actually aren't even good writers? Like, do you have a way to discern and pull out of them in a process that you take them through? Or how do you make that repeatable? Because if the success rate is that high, there's got to be some sort of repeatable process that you take people through. Yeah, there is. We call it the difference process. Um, so here's the thing. If you look at everything that goes into writing a book that makes a difference, a book that actually generates revenue, generates clients, right? Every single thing. Spelling is like 2% of that whole equation. How good of a writer you are is like maybe 5% of that whole equation. And so we have a lot of authors that have um, learning disabilities, ADD, dyslexia. Um, we have a lot of authors that have major medical conditions. So stage four cancer, we've had people in the chemo chair, we've had people having their gallbladder out and keep writing their book. We had somebody deliver a baby and she barely stopped writing like long enough for labor, but or long enough for delivery. She kept writing all through labor until she was five centimeters dilated and then was writing after the baby came out, the baby came to her book launch. Um, we have had, we had one of our authors had two of her kids get married and one of them graduated from college and she wrote her book in the same nine-week period that all three of those things happened. So how busy you are, how good of a writer you are, these are not the things that determine success or failure. What determines success or failure is your commitment to serving others and actually making a difference with your message, your product, your movement, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So let, let me just and again, it's two steps forward, one step back here on Beyond Eight Figures. We tend to do this because uh, the conversations bring me sort of full circle on some loops that we didn't close. And what I want to make sure that we close the loop on then is what did you do uh, again to get out of that solopreneur state to actually then build a business? Did you did you make then the the, the conscious decision to take money out of your pocket, to put it into others for a period of time so that you could hire the right people? Was it a matter of really honing in on the offer? Was it a matter of really just getting your lead system in place and then knowing you needed the support to fulfill the leads that were being generated? Take, was it take finally us through, a website? Was it finally a website, <laughs> right? So, so take us through, uh, again, how we switched from that $50 an hour, Dr. Angela, to building a real business? The good news is this answer also ties in the spelling question that Richie asked. The very first thing I did was develop that difference process. And what that enabled me to do was take my 17 years at that point when I developed it, 17 years of experience doing books. I'd done 56 books in 17 years and I was able to put what I'd done, the best practices, into a process where writing a book it was one of the 10 steps. And some people need more help with that step. So it's closer to a ghostwriter relationship with, at the time it was me, and I'd done a lot of ghostwriting. So I'd worked on 56 books, I'd ghostwritten 29. And if writing was really hard for someone at the beginning, I might actually do ghostwriting. And it was a range from light editing to ghostwriting mm -hmm. with kind of a middle amount of editing in the middle. But that was just one of the 10 steps in the equation. So having that framework was the first piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. I invented it in July of 2013. And in August, I sold a group program kind of by accident, to test this framework. Could I use this framework in working with clients? And I had 327 people on an email list at that point. I still didn't have a website. I still didn't have business cards. I had a free MailChimp account. Mm. And I had 327 people on it. And the way I got them on the mailing list was they were all people I had met personally, and I typed their names in. They did not opt into anything. Mm -hmm. I think that's illegal. I'm not even sure it's allowed. Yeah. So I said, right on the edge. So I sent them an email that said, hey, I developed a framework and I'm trying to test it out. It's going to be totally free to test it. 
And if it works, you'll get a book. And my goal is for each book to generate $22,500. And I came up with a very specific reason I reached that formula. And we'll split that revenue 50-50. And it'll be totally free. And your book will be done in three months. Who wants to do it? And 100 of those 327 people said yes. So my open rate was only 22%. More people said yes than even opened the email. So I knew instantly I had something. That was within 24 hours. I had 100 messages from people. I picked the best 10 people. And I said to everyone, um, I've decided to create a $1,000 deposit. It's still totally free but you have to put a thousand dollars down and I'll pay you back out of your royalties. Like the first thousand uh, dollars in royalties, you'll get a hundred percent. And after that, we'll split it 50, 50. Um, but I want to make sure you actually do the work. So many people are interested. I don't want to waste one of these spots on someone who doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. They put a thousand us dollars down, which was by far the most money I'd ever asked a human for. Like it was just seemed crazy. They're just going to give me a thousand dollars. And 10 people paid on PayPal within minutes. And I had a $10,000 day, which also seemed like the craziest thing. Like I usually make a $10,000 in a month. I was making in like an hour. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had something. I didn't know I would scale it and have other people working for me. I thought I would just do that four times a year with 10 people. So 10 people four times a year, each book was going to make me about 10 grand, 40 times 40. It was going to be like, you know, enough money to live on. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of how I imagined it starting. And pretty quickly, I realized it's very hard because it was a group program. I'm an amazing editor. I think I'm one of the best editors in like the history of the last hundred years. And I still can't edit 10 books in the exact same week. All the manuscripts hit at the same time. That first round, December of 2013, I don't think I slept more than four hours that whole month. Mm. I edited every single book. I worked 24-7. And I was like, this problem is going to need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I hired, uh, Kate Macklin was my very first editor. And I hired her right away. Um, she was just like a friend who I was like, I don't know, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. Help, I'm dying. Uh, and that was kind of my first tip off that this was so successful. I wouldn't be able to do it alone. And then each piece of it over time, uh, I was able to kind of piece out and hire different people to do different things. Probably one of the last things I gave up was sales. But marketing by July of the next year, no, July of 2015, I um, found somebody to take over the marketing who is a former boss of mine, somebody who had actually fired me when I was six months pregnant. Mm. So, And he's now helped me get this business to $20 million, couldn't have done it without him. But each piece just sort of organically came up like, wow, this is not humanly possible for me to do. I must find help. Um, but having that framework and the accidental discovery that you could write a book in a group program in three months, which was just a random experiment that really worked. That's what we've been doing since August of 2013. Every month we take, it was 10 for a long time, but we now take 25 people a month. Um, and it's no longer a thousand dollars. Uh, there's a lot more than that, but uh, but we have such a high success rate that most of our authors get a 10x return on investment within three months. Yeah, and and just so we're clear on that, so assuming they pay, um, just using the numbers that you threw out earlier, so assuming they pay 25k to get this done with the anticipation of a 250 thousand dollar type of return. What what are the what are the key differences then that you were doing? Because there's a lot of a lot of listeners who aspire to write a book or and even authors who have books that may aspire to rewrite their book. What what are you doing specifically to help them monetize those letters and words on a page that is so different from what others are doing? Yeah. Most people are going for book sales. 
And therefore, they're going for a broader market Mm -hmm. to sell as many books as possible. We try to sell as few books as possible. We just don't care about book sales Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. We care about clients. And we will give away, we know that for every hundred books we give away, we get a client. It's very consistent. It's very repeatable. If you give away a hundred books, you'll get somewhere between 10 and 12 sales calls. Uh, About half of those will end up being flaky and canceling. You'll get a guarantee of four good qualified sales calls and one client. So if we can give away a hundred books a week, we'll end up with a sales call that happens every day that week and one of them will become a client. So our method is based on giving books away very strategically. About a hundred a week is kind of the number that we aim for. We don't always get to that number at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but we know quickly we can get there. And that's, that's the euphemistic we, so that's per author then. So in other words, and your, your strategy, I would think then is let me write a, a great book where you, for lack of a better term here, in that book, you teach a specific framework and the call to action is, hey, I'm glad you read through this book. If you want me to put this framework to work for you and help you personally, grab a time here and let's chat. Is it just that simple? Pretty much that simple. There are a couple other things I would say, um, and shout out to Dan Kennedy again, but um, making sure that the book is Uh, about a topic that people actually spend money to solve. Mm. So Mm -hmm. most people, almost every single one of my clients, I would say 85 to 90% of my clients want to write a book about self-love, empowerment, confidence, happiness. These are not things people spend money on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to find a problem that people actually spend money on And that's a big part of the framework. So a lot of it's based on Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup. Mm -hmm. Um, And we create an MVP in the first couple of weeks we work together. An MVP is a minimum viable product. For us, that often looks like a pre-order of their book, or it could be a webinar with the same concept or the same problem as their book. Mm -hmm. We put that out into the marketplace. And if we can't make a sale from the book concept before the book is written, we're not going to be able to make a sale from it after. So we test everything. So the reason people succeed is they kind of can't not, we've gained the system. We already know if you're going to write the book, it's because there are clients, you know how to reach them and you've already generated revenue from solving this problem. Yeah. A great point. And you know, it's a, it's very similar and analogous here to podcasting in a lot of ways from the standpoint of, you know, our our shows, we've got two shows, Reinvention Radio and Beyond Eight Figures. You know, we've got great, loyal audiences, but we're, we're not going to be standing next to Joe Rogan in terms of, you know, getting to 30 million downloads a month, right? I mean, it's just our, our numbers aren't there. But what I say, and I, I say this frequently when I'm asked to speak, um, which occasionally people do want to hear what I have to say, not all the time, but that's why I have my own podcast. So, you know, here we go. Um, But what I say is that, you know, I have the number of downloads that I need to support the lifestyle that I want. And so reality is we don't need to have 15 million downloads a month in order to support the lifestyle that I want. So same thing, if I'm hearing you kind of cutting between the lines there, is it doesn't have to hit the New York Times bestseller list. It doesn't have to be a Wall Street Journal, this, that, or the other, or whatever, in order to generate meaningful revenue for your clients, which is actually why, I don't know if you know if you remember this or not, but um, but as long as I have you and you're a captive audience here, I'll remind you of the fact that we actually had spoken in the past about profiting from podcasts and working that into your equation. And I still think there's an opportunity there for us to dance. So I'd still want to revisit that at some point. But no, uh, I mentioned earlier, we're always improving our program yeah. and, uh, at the time we talked, the next improvement on our list was podcasts. And then somebody jumped ahead of you. I forget who it is. Faster. We still 
haven't done that. Our current improvement, which I'm super excited about, is we are launching a Spanish localization. Mm. So uh, 7% of our authors have Spanish as a first language. So we're going to offer a program in Spanish, but podcasts are still very high on the list. Awesome. And I have not found the right partner. So we should definitely connect on that. Let's chat. Sweet. Yeah, we should def- we should definitely dance. And you got to send your, and by the way, you got to send your authors to the New Media Summit. Do you know the New Media Summit? Only because you've told me about it. <laughs> uh, okay, exactly, right? I mean, that that's our event. We're actually doing our next one here very, very soon, but it's our event where a lot of coaches and authors and speakers and business owners come to be able to meet 40 top podcasters and pitch them on who they are and what they do straight from the stage. Everybody takes the microphone and they get booked on the spot. So, I mean, it, we've got a 100% track record of people coming to the summit uh, and leaving with bookings. And as a matter of fact, our average attendee gets booked on uh, on 12 podcasts while they're there. So our next one is in September. That one's sold out, but doing uh, doing it again in March. And, and by the way, we should chat too about you were potentially doing something at that event because Lord knows in terms of um, uh, from, from a highly targeted prospect perspective, the people that attend the New Media Summit are your ideal clients all day long. So Lots to lots to chat about there, but uh, I do know several of my authors have been and have raved about it. Sweet. So, it's, yeah, so it definitely gets good reviews. Awesome, very very cool. Um, so another question for me, and then Rich, I know you had another couple of questions as well. But let me let me just ask you this: and when we talked about, you know, why would why would you sell it? I mean, it's generating cash. You really just feel like you're hitting your stride. You want to build this thing. Totally get that in terms of why you want to stay in the game, and then your responsibilities are limited because you've been able to bring in people to work in your business right so you don't have to but you got the castle you've got the money you've got all the things that on the vision board you wanted how how do you stay motivated and what still keeps you up at night well first of all i should say i am almost completely in an owner rather than an operator mode um i will be out of any sort of operational responsibilities within a couple months. So probably by the time people hear this podcast. So I think for me, I've built something I'm so proud of. But when I look around at the value that I can now add to this company, I'm doing things like rearranging people's desks so that they're in a better part of the building. And I just know the value I'm supposed to add to the world into this business is not going to happen anymore on the operational basis. I need to go out and invent some new things and create some new things to add into the ecosphere. And that's really what I'm most excited about. So I think the question that I ask myself every day is, how could I add the most value to the author incubator? And that answer changes. I mean, it changes not daily, but at least quarterly. And sometimes it feels like monthly. Mm. What can I do now? Sometimes the answer is sales. It hasn't been that for a long time. Sometimes the answer is the best thing I could do is uh, do a live event or coach or speak. And now I'm out of questions that are in or out of answers that are in day-to-day operations. For me now, my next step is really getting the message of our authors to a bigger audience our mission statement is magic is real. And we, uh, and our mission is to amplify the voices of our fellow magic makers so that we can bring more hope, healing and transformation to the planet. So I'm super excited that my entire year next year is focused on and dedicated to promoting my authors and their messages and getting them more clients and really spreading the message that personal development is the path to freedom. And, and so the other side of that, was there anything that still keeps you up at night? Anything that still worries about, you still worry about what, what do you still struggle with? Yeah. I mean, to me, I've never built a personal brand. I've never been a speaker. I've never gotten myself out there um, and made it about like me and having a message and next year to really be the voice for my clients I have to kind of have my own platform and that's been really hard for me to figure out how to do in a way that doesn't feel icky and egoy. I like being behind the scenes a little bit. Um, so, I, so definitely a lot of stuff has come up for me about 
like being seen in a more public way. Mm -hmm. I've done a couple, my first two industry speaking events were in May at Chris Winfield's Unfair Advantage. And then I just spoke in August at uh, JJ Virgin's Mindshare Summit. Mm -hmm. First time I've ever spoken on stage. Like I would rather throw up and die. I think I was throwing up and dying at (laughs) both of those events. So that's just really super hard for me. Um, and it's just a different kind of hard. And I don't know if you're not living up on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Yeah. Right. Richie, we we got about, uh, four minutes left here or so, and then we're gonna have to let Dr. Angela jump. So what, uh, what else is on your mind? Well, so first a couple of statements, then a question. The first statement is we shouldn't necessarily judge a book by its cover, but we do. And you know, this as an author, I'm sure that has a lot to do. So for those who aren't actually watching and they're just listening, you actually look money, Angela. So I noticed you have a website that's beautiful. You look beautiful there. I love the background. Like, it's just awesome. So the presentation in and of itself, the message is there. So you're going to be doing just fine on the speaking thing. Don't worry about that. Um, but the, the question, it was funny you brought up. I want to try to put you on the spot and be selfish at the same time. <laughs> So you brought up happiness and that for anyone who knows me, like that's kind of my main thing. But you talked about transformation and you said you can't sell happiness. So but people are doing things and buying things to make them happy. So is it in the subtitle? Is it in like, you know what I mean? Like, what is the? I call it an invisibility cloak. So we don't want to say, like, be happy, love yourself more. We don't want to say all the words that people don't buy. So what we want to focus on is the problem and the dream come true that they will invest in. So as an example, people will invest in uh, find a new job or get a promotion or lose 100 pounds or uh, meet your soulmate. These are all things we know people invest in. Of course, the entire purpose of those specific problems is to be happy. But people think of happiness as like a perk. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a nice to have, but not a thing they invest in. Got it. So you're still marketing to the get me laid, get me paid, help me look good. That's pretty much it. So one of our authors was saying, I just really want to help. Uh, women in in transition love themselves more. Mm. Self-love for women in transition. And so I just said, what self-love, what, what transition and what kind of self-love? And she said, uh, I don't want to pick because I don't want to limit my opportunities. I'm like, we only want one client a week. One client a week gets you a half million dollar business. If that client is worth $10,000, all together to you over a lifetime of working with them, if they're worth $10,000, that's a half million dollar business. Mm-hmm. So she said, well, let me focus on women going through a divorce. There you go. And how do they want to show self-love? She said, let me focus on clutter. Mm-hmm. If they declutter their house, they're going to love themselves more. You have to make a decision with each item. Do I love this? So you have to know what you love. You have to know what makes you happy. Mm-hmm have to find self-love by decluttering and moving into a smaller space so instead of self-love for women in transition decluttering for women going through a divorce is one way to do that yeah that's awesome you know it's interesting uh one of the expressions that uh that i use and we do a lot of uh pre-event training for the new media summit to get them ready for their time on stage to pitch and having people who have struggled with exactly that i finally just came up with the the expression here that's become sort of uh, famous, and, and let's just say that it has become uh, a little bit of a mantra as far as the New Media Summit is concerned, which is pick a fucking chakra. It's like, you know, because you get a lot of those spirits, but it's like, just pick a fucking chakra and move forward, will you? You know, like, whichever one it's going to be. So that's on the back of our T-shirts now at the New Media Summit, but there you go. All right, look, Angela, that's we're going to have to let you jump here. If people want more information about you, best place for them to go, where should they get started? Yeah, so the authorincubator.com and it's T H E V author, like write a book, and then incubator, um, I N C U B A T O R, the authorincubator.com. Uh, my, all my books are up there for free. So you can go ahead and get one of my books for free. My new book is Make Them Beg to Work for You. Yeah. And yeah. if you do want to go beyond eight figures and you want a team that gets you to eight figures, 
make them beg to work for you. That's awesome. Dr. Angela, thanks so much for joining us. And we will talk to everybody next time.